You are now listening to an all-new episode of The Last Man Potting. I am your host, Ahmad, back this week with my co-host, Steve, and together we make The Last Man Potting. Steve, how the fuck you doing this week? I feel fine. I got my playoff beard going, so um, it's definitely crunch time out here. So you, you know how it is. So, you, so you're not going to shave till you get the chip? <laughs> is, is that how that works? He's <laughs> yeah, no, like, all right, this thing is Steve's fucking bullshit. I'm sick of his shit. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny, man, like, because they had the March Madness thing. It's like the things that they're doing to promote women's basketball is very interesting to me because I still don't care about it. But now, now they're trying to bring And, and we know you like to stay at the forefront yeah. of uh, of women's rights and right. women's progress. And, and yeah, all women's that. employment and all that. Yeah, like, what, what is it about women's basketball that's not uh, doing it for you these days? Well, it just can't dunk. There's not enough so dunks. Like, not yeah. Big. And that athleticism is just, it's just an inferior product to like the real thing. So it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I see what y'all trying to do. Like y'all trying to like suck me in. It's like, oh, you know, uh, white people races. And I'm just like, I, I still don't care about your product. Racism have to do with women's basketball. They said something about um, like some girl named Clayton, uh, Caitlin Clark, uh, LSU was playing something and she had did this to like the little black girl or whatever and then little black girl T1 and she did this back and it was like oh was the niggers and like like <laughs> Dude, that, is this that is exactly the, what they said <laughs> this is what they doing the to like yeah like, look at the niggers doing the bad stuff I'm just like am I supposed to care about this I, well cause I think uh, they invited the white girl to the white house or something like that and I was just like, it was like a big storyline. I'm just like, damn, I still don't care about women's basketball. Like, y'all are trying hard to promote this thing. And I just don't, I just don't care about it. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny <laughs> about like not caring about shit. Cause it's like the other day I'm at the gym and I see on the screen, it says like President Trump got indicted. And yeah. I don't know what he got indicted for or why, or, you know, if they're going to lock him up. But last night, I'm watching the fights. You know, the uh, Irish fight was on, and Trump was sitting like ringside. So yeah. I'm like, he don't even give a fuck. So I go, why should I give a fuck? Trump like, he has quite ne- chilling, like everything was sweet. Trump has never given a fuck. That's why he's the greatest president of all time. Did uh, did, did your boy win? What's his name? Irish or did he win? Yeah, he he knocked that nigga out like that. That 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 shit was different. Like, cause he knocked him out. It was like a video game. Cause he knocked him out, stood over him. It was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like choreographed almost. Yeah. I, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty good. It was pretty. I do interesting. You say it was choreographed because then then their company just bought the WWE. What company bought the WWE? The company that owns UFC just bought WWE. For nine billion. Oh, uh, w- WME. Uh, William Morris. William Morris owns the WWE. All right. Yeah. No, William Morris owns the UFC. Rather. Yeah, he just bought the WWE. I see. I see. Vince McMahon is back too. He got the little pencil stash and all that. Like. Yeah, like you knew that wasn't gonna last. Like. <laughs> he looks like a Mexican with that stash. Stuff. So, so who's this Mexican in a suit? Wait, wait, Vince McMahon has a stash now. Yeah, you ain't see it. Yeah, oh, I gotta man. look this up. Hold on. Oh hell no! <laughs> like, yeah, that's a porn stash. Like, like no, he gotta. He, you gotta do better. But like, you fuck it up. You are fucking up. Like that's the thing so I was. That's the thing I respect about like people like him and Trump. Like bad shit will happen, and they'll just pull back up like it never happened. It's just like yeah, nigga, I'm back. I own shit. I run shit. Like I respect the confidence of that. It's what you have to do. It's like when um when uh, when people were saying like Usher was giving people herpes, he never commented on it. It's like he's back out here with a residency. Like if you don't if you ignore the drama, it's like people's attention span is short. Like they only care for 24 hours and then it's over. And in fairness to Usher too, the woman that like accused him is just one of those things where it's like really you were sleeping with usher now if you see me with her you'd be like okay that makes sense like yeah steve definitely hit that but she was just gigantic for steve exactly she was gigantic she was frumpy she was funny looking in the face like she just didn't look like i'm like why would you do that to yourself usher like 
we have a whole segment about that, Steve. It's called yeah. animal behavior. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so, so sometimes you just need to bust a nut. Just a fucking animal. Bark like a dog. Come on. We ain't nothing but mammals. What kind of animal smokes marijuana at his own confirmation? You bring out the animal. See, but there's a difference between like me being at the club at two o'clock in the morning and saying that. As opposed to like, like when is Usher even going? Like he, that man has so many other options. Like he's still in great shape, you know. Like why would why would that happen? Like it, that, I just don't believe that. You've heard all of these stories. Like people are weird, man. Like people pe- 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 people have weird sexual stuff going on. I don't know why you try to understand it. It's like a fetish thing. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, who are we to judge? Like, what he's doing? Like, that's if that's how he want to get his shit off, that's how he get his shit off. It's like, not. I'm not judging. I just don't believe it. Why is it unbelievable? I think that's very believable for a famous guy. Like, you fucked all the bad bitches. Like, Usher been in the game since he was yeah. what seventeen or some shit. You every type of supermodel they can put that in front of him. He been through all of that. Now let's let's move on to the B sides. Like he's had the hits. I see what you're saying. Like it's like when I'm playing Madden for 12 hours, I say, you know what? Let me switch to 2K. Is that kind of like what it is for Usher? Switching to 2K. That's that's all that is. But um, speaking of that, you know, um, I wanted to bring back animal behavior this week, and uh, you know, because animal behavior is like thunder. You never know when it's gonna, or lightning rather. You never know when it's gonna strike. So for animal behavior this week. Um, we go to Daniel Caesar. Daniel Caesar dropped a new album this week. Um, it's called Never Enough. And uh, on it, there was a song, which I think is the best song on the album. It's actually a good album, but we're not here to do a review of the album. But um, it, there's a song called Homie Sexual. And it's it's a bop. Like, if you, if you haven't heard it yet, go check that out on whatever streaming service you use. But... I was more interested in the concept of a homosexual and the concept like where he says um, the the a homosexual is um, his girl found some other girl to sleep next to, but she's celibate and uh, he knows that she's fronting because she likes it nasty. Now, Steve had to decipher these lyrics for me like <laughs> when, when I sent him the song because I didn't understand what a homosexual was. So, um, what, what are your thoughts on homosexual? Is, is is that is that animal behavior, or is that the opposite of animal behavior? Is that like a new new paradigm that they're adding to the game? I'm, I was confused. That it's so confusing because it's just one of those things where, like, how he explains it, he says something about like the chorus goes, "You sleeping next to a girl that's lesbian, that's celibate." It is like. It, like the logic behind that is like, okay, this guy keeps doing me dirty, so I'm going to d- go mess with something else. Like, I guess this is a new paradigm to the game. I'm not quite sure what to even call this. That's, it's, that's so like, I don't have an intro. I don't have the new paradigm intro. Yeah. But like, I like. I think this might yeah. be a, a pivot point because, like, I was confused too because I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what, I'm like, what exactly is he saying? Like, right. Uh, that see, but that's great artistry though. It's like he he visualized what was going on with him and his girl, and I was like, okay, so you want to go to the other side of the game? So you think you slick? No, I caught you. <laughs> you he said you would have missed that celibate. <laughs> oh, that's not how the game is played. You can't do that. Fuck, believe this shit. I know you front like, like come back home. Yeah, we had this one in the wrong category. Yeah. So, um, so. With with this new paradigm that this girl is trying to introduce into the game, and Daniel Caesar's not having any of it, because yeah. um, he, he he even says later in the song, he's like, "I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you're going to end up back with me." Like, yeah. so do, do you think like uh, homosexualism is just a phase that that uh, that that's uh, just new to the game now? I guess so. I, like, we'd have to do some more interviews of some homosexuals out there, so. Some homosexuals, why don't y'all comment in the comment section and let us know, like, 
how exactly that part of the game is played because like we're new to it we're old men now we're getting the old nigga category so we didn't even really know what the term was it, like rap genius didn't even touch that shit like i tried to rap genius it they didn't even they didn't break down none of them lyrics it's like fuck that we're not touching that shit yeah because like 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 you know I, i'm late to the game because like i'm still figuring out like what uh emojis and shit mean yeah so so it's like when you when you start throwing it hobie sexual now i'm like that's not even listed on facebook like you know i i gotta keep up yeah i don't even use i still use the fucking uh the dot and the the parenthesis and shit like how do you <laughs> yeah i do wonder if this homosexual thing is going to evolve to like Okay, I identify as a homosexual, so you have to address me as this. You think that's gonna be like the HR, it's like gonna be the new HR video or something like that? Like well, we have to come up with a clear definition of homosexual. We haven't even been able to do yeah. that yet. I kind of like it. It's genius, really. Shout out to Daniel Caesar. Yeah, it's catchy. So um, you know, check out his album Never Enough. I, and I needed some new <laughs> RB because uh, the music was getting dry this year. Nobody was really dropping shit. So um you know, shout out to him. Yeah, Daniel Caesar always keeps it fresh, and he's got a great voice, so um, definitely shout out to him. Yeah. Um, you know, so the other day, I, I, I was uh, playing the Hulu Shuffle, and uh, you know, just out of boredom, it, it, was, it, was, it, was like, it was like 9 p.m. I said, you know what? I'm not ready to go to bed. Let me just, let me just fire something up. <laughs> So I keep on this show accused on Hulu because I wanted to see. I was like, let me see what network TV's put out there for the people. And um, it's this show like where every week there's a different case where somebody gets accused of something and they have to prove their guilt or innocence in the court. And the first episode is like, and Michael Chiklis's son is like planning to like do a mass shooting at the school. And like, you know, he's real weird and his dad thinks like maybe he should murder him and he decides not to murder him and instead give him $10,000 to go to Sweden to get his mind right. And then at the end of the episode, he he uh, commits the shooting and they try to take Michael Chiklis to court for it, saying like, yo, you funded this. And he gets found not guilty. But the reason why I'm bringing this up, because at the end of the episode, like, Fox like flash like the suicide mental health hotline numbers up on the screen like any of this was supposed to be helpful in helping you <laughs> identify if somebody's having mental health issues and shit like that and I was just like this is a wild thing to put on TV like as entertainment too because it's like you know school shootings and all that is is real uh hot button issue I guess if people follow the news and so I wanted to watch a couple more episodes and it only got worse. Yeah. Well, see, that's the point of it is television programming. They're going to put in what they want you to watch and tell you that this is what everybody wants to watch. So, you know, I, maybe the shit makes money. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Disney is losing a lot of money off based off of their programming. So who knows? I don't know, but it, I was entertained by it. I can't lie. Because like, <laughs> it was pure trash television. It, it, it was like as manipulative as the movie Crash is. Like, you know mm. how Crash is just like so overt with the racism. There's yeah, no the subtlety baby. in it at all. It's like yeah. this show was so overt. It's like like the culture is so disjointed with what people watch. Like everybody's like in like their little silo. Like what what's even the most popular thing anymore? Um What's the movie? The John Singleton uh, show. What's it called? Uh, the drug deal. Snowfall. That's the shit, ain't it? Mike, how many people watch Snowfall? <laughs> I, like, I bet you. Like, I'm just guessing. I bet you it's like 600,000 episodes. It's not a lot. It's, it's probably not a lot. But that's I what you ask. A lot of people are watching this shit. You, you ask what's the shit now? Like, that's what I hear people be talking about, like. Like that's the main thing. I don't know nothing else. I don't, my mama said she liked that Wu Tang show, so but I don't know if, like how many people watching that shit. Like, Snowfall four point three million viewers. That's a lot of viewers. So you wrong. That's that's a lot of people watching. <laughs> I told you, ass. <laughs> like maybe I'm just out of the loop because like I mean like you know who watches like the drug adventures of Compton like year five like. <laughs> Like, I'm just, like, bored by all of this shit, and I'm just, like, because I'm, like, 
I can't watch any more of it. Like I tried watching yeah. The Last of Us last week, and I said, "This is horrible. It's not even entertaining." And I'm sure, the, like, if 4.3 million people are watching Snowball, it must be like 20 million people watching that other shit. What The Last of Us is that that show with um? Yeah, Last of Us got 30 million viewers. Yeah, like that, that shit the, sucks. Like it, it was bad. What's it's pretty part? much cut for cut the video game. I thought you was talking about that show with that uh what's that funny looking nigga that be in everything and shit? Um it's something about us or something. I think it's on NBC. Fuck it, I can't even remember. This is us? Yeah, that's not yeah, right. Yeah, that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, with struggle face. Uh yeah, what that was that what's that ugly uh, nigga name? Sterling, Sterling King Brown. King Brown. Sterling, Sterling King Brown. Brown, yeah, that ugly nigga like. He be uh <laughs> he he be crying every episode and shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad. He's just known to you as the ugly. Nigga. Yeah, the ugly. Nigga. I could not think of that nigga's name for shit. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess it's like every now and then I like to just poke my head out, like do like the you know the Hulu shuffle or the HBO shuffle just to see. I'm like, all right, let me see what the kids like nowadays and. I just re- I think the culture's just passed me on. That's that's why we read we review books and old movies on here now because I can't keep up with this shit like zombie apocalypses and uh, school shootings and prime time. Like it's too much. Are you gonna give Snowfall a chance? No, I never gave it a chance. I, I do know the guy's name is Franklin, but I never gave it a chance because I just didn't need another drug dealing show. Like right. you know. It's like they've done drug dealing shows like, you know, you have The Wire, Breaking Bad, you know, Weeds back in the day. It's like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the science guy. I'm firmly behind the science guy and I'm waiting for the premiere. I, I think we, we got to write that shit ourselves, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess the universe <laughs> is telling us that. It's like, yo, right. I need to write the science guy. Because cause I will be mad if somebody else comes out with a show called The Science Guy. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, like that's, that's our shit. <laughs> the black size guys. So, Especially I, when the weekend is just getting off that bullshit that we talked about last week. Like, we might as well try to get the science guy off. Yeah, when does that show come on now? I can't remember. That's HBO. Uh, I don't think they know yet. Oh, all right. So, um, getting into our topics for this week. Um, so we're starting like a new, a new phase of the book and book and movie club. We wanted to talk about, you know, concepts of money, currency, wealth, greed, you know, self-preservation, things like that. And um, the author that struck out to us, like Steve actually introduced me to this author a couple of years ago, uh, James Rickards, who has an extensive career in law um high finance at uh large banking institutions and working at different government institutions um influencing and advising on monetary policy and um you know his books try to take the concepts of finance and bring them down to like the level of the layman what i wanted to talk about on the show and i think steve would agree is like how do these things ultimately influence the individual or influence your ability to have autonomy and control over your, your future as a person, you know, or a head of a family, or even if you want to start a business or something like that, I think like that's where understanding international finance and all of that stuff comes into play. But uh, Steve, where did, uh, what drew you to James Rickard's books? And because uh, you read his book, um, The Death of Money, right? Yeah. Well, it, it was weird. Like, I got this book um, years ago, probably about what, when it came out, actually. Um, I was just bored. I was working this job at the time, and his video, like, randomly popped up. And, uh, like, he just sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And he was just talking about, like, he's like, yeah, you know, the dollar's going to crash and this going to happen, this going to happen. So I was like, you know, let me see what this guy is talking about. And I just kind of read into it. And um, it was just inter- it was an interesting read. Like, and like you said, I like how he kind of lays out the concepts and, you know, it's basically he's very thorough. He's very thorough with his research. So um, it's definitely a good read. And I um, definitely enjoy kind of like digging into it, and, like his his perspective about like the monetary system. Yeah. Because it's 
you know, mm-hmm. as with anybody, his his perspective is laden with all of his biases. Like he's very biased <laughs> towards towards gold and conservative fiscal policy and stuff like that. Like those biases are very clear. But I think when you get past the bias and you look at the fundamentals of things, which always interests me, it's, you know, the concepts of psychology and physics and how they interact in um, markets, currencies, and what people identify as money. Um, Like those are, that's like the root of what he's writing about. And you can't escape certain you know natural laws that just govern our existence and it's it's clear that the money system that we have now goes against those natural laws in a lot of ways you know how he framed it in the aftermath book was there's a confidence boundary and that's like a psychological concept that at a certain point you start to have a lack of confidence in the value of the dollar that you have and say, I'm going to need a barrel full of these things to go grocery shopping. So things like that cause people to have lack of faith in politicians, the government, their own personal security. And what the central banks try to do, what private loaning institutions try to do is change the psychology so that you remain confident in these things without actually understanding the forces that are at play. Yeah. And he, I think he does a good job of explaining about like how the whole concept of what the central bank is trying to do is to keep interest rates low so that they can get, they can basically borrow as much money as they can at low cost. So they can almost devalue the debt. But then, you know, and he explains it in this uh, specific chapter of, um, I think it's called debt deficits in the dollar where now, <clears throat> and you see it where how he broke it down was, and you're seeing it now currently with the uh, federal reserve, where they keep talking about like, we got to get inflation under control, under control, getting inflation under control. This book was uh, made in uh, 2014. So now we're kind of seeing more of what he was talking about now within the actual real account economy currently in 2023. Yeah. And Stuff like that is like when you get into the specifics is why I like his analysis, because you can see he takes the time to really understand what he's talking about and to relay it in a way that's understandable to the layman. And it's like as simple as when you see like the current situation of the U of the U.S. and the deficit and and like that people don't understand what the deficit is. And it's pretty much since 1999, what the government spends money on, we haven't made enough money to cover those expenses. And it keeps going up. And now it's going up at an alarming rate. The same thing as a person that buys things on credit because they don't have the cash to go to the store and buy anything. So they're just buying stuff on credit over and over and over again. And the interest rates get worse as your ability to pay back that credit dwindles. And that's the situation that the country's in. But it gets to a point like we're at right now where you see the government continues to give away free money and they don't want anything in return in terms of productivity. And that results in everything just being more expensive and the dollar being less powerful. And that's just in our internal policy in the country. It's like when you go outside of the country, you have to deal with the factors of other countries actively trying to devalue the dollar as well because they want to strengthen their financial position as a country and strengthen the economy of their people. What it comes down to is your personal responsibility in this is it's like, all right, if I only earn X amount of dollars, I need to live beneath that level of means. Like, I shouldn't be living at it because bad things happen. And I definitely shouldn't be living beyond it because bad things happen. But what would be the safest strategy would be to live within those means and invest some of the extra income that I have if I have extra income. But if I don't have extra income, the least I can do is not overextend myself. What you just explained about the difference between sustainable spending and uh, spending that 
isn't sustainable. It's basically spending that doesn't make sense. And he has like the whole formula that he kind of goes through. And he uses examples of like how the government helped the interconnectedness of the internet. Um, it started from within, within the private industry, but the government was able to kind of take it because it's so complex and the private industry wouldn't have been able to take it to where it would have gotten to this point now, uh, comparing that to like the Obama stimulus in 2009, where it, he basically kind of explains that like it was redundant spending on like union jobs and different things that were like, you know, turbine and electric cars and different things like that, that really you didn't get to see the return on that as opposed to with the internet, you saw a, a return in regards to that government spending. So, you know, getting into that now, we get to the pol political realm of like, we want this, we want that. You kind of see how politicians, it's like, you know, whether you want to blame them or not, you kind of see where they get to the point where it's like, all right, well, I have to figure out how to get more money and, you know, not raise taxes. And then, but at the same time, it comes out with an inflation. So. Funny thing is when you, when you really start to try to understand these things, they're not as complex as, you know, all of the jargon would make you think where it's like it's we're in a very simple situation as a country. It's like you have to raise taxes and cut spending. That's the only way out of the situation. And that will cause some people to have a lower quality of life. But there's no way around that. And what politicians try to sell people is this idea that we can cut taxes and give you more free stuff in the form of, you know, now they try to say universal basic income. They want to guarantee everybody a check. And they did that over COVID. They gave out the checks indiscriminately, whether or not you needed it. And it was a huge waste of money because as an individual, I got a COVID check. I didn't need it. I, I was working. Like I was working and I could still pay my bills. They sent me a check. I bought a TV. Like I, I didn't do anything good with the money. Like the, and that TV does not contribute to growth in GDP. Now, the idea behind like, you know, these entitlement programs is that people are going to use that money, the cushion or whatever, and they're going to invest it in themselves or invest it in businesses that are going to help grow the economy in the aggregate. And that's just been proven not to be true. It's like, like, you know, if you're poor, you got a COVID check, you spent that money on milk and, you know, gas and stuff like that. Mm. If you're like me and you didn't need it, you bought something fun or like, or maybe you kept it in your pocket and you turned it into savings. That's not growing either. So it's like, the psychology of these things is playing a bigger part on um, the reality that people are ignoring. It's like, you can't give away free money with nothing in return. It's like, if you're going to give away money, people have to give something in return into in the form of productivity. Otherwise, you're creating an imbalance. Yeah, it, but, and that's the concept basically behind low interest rates, because with the higher interest rate, there's a more incentive to keep your money in the bank. But with the lower interest rate, there is more incentive to uh, choose riskier assets in order to try to get a return on it. So like that's really where the idea of what the bankers are trying to do is to sit back and say, all right, well, look, if I keep these interest rates low, then people will put their money into stocks and housing and different things like that. But like you said, somebody like you is not going to do that. Somebody like you is going to pocket the money. So like, it, like the psychology behind it, like, it's like, you can kind of see where the thinking is, but it doesn't work at all. You can't go against the psychology. It's like people behave in a herd in certain ways. And that herd behavior is going to affect the market one way or another. And if you manually try to change it, psychology is always going to redirect it because the entire market is based on people's mental perception of it. And if you try to take actions on the market that are devoid of that understanding, you just compound the problems. And you see that in the form of like all of these new securities that they try to create. And it's like, all right, I have a bundle of bad, bad mortgages. 
I know that they're shit, but I'm going to rebundle them with a couple of good ones and sell it to you like it's like it's a prize. And then you're over here and you're like, hey, I got money. You're selling me something at a favorable interest rate. I'll buy it, even though I don't understand how much of a piece of shit that you're selling me. But I think that's also like the issue of how they structure how they measure gross domestic product as well, because he kind of breaks it down uh, basically into four sectors of basically. And he said that it's government spending, investments, net exports and consumption. And he broke down how they basically measure American GDP is 40 percent of consumption. So the idea is that I, in order to maintain it, in order to look like uh, we're growing each quarter, we have to keep consumption going and going. So like that's part of the concept of why they said, all right, we have to inject money to people when we're shutting the country down because con consumption goes down now. We're looking like we're in a recession or a depression, which may potentially lead to deflation. So you see it on the corporate level too where companies mm -hmm. grow in revenue but they don't grow in profit exactly because because inflation is out of control and you see people actively when they try to invest in the stock market that's the other problem is people don't understand how the forces of the stock market work so a lot of the time they don't understand the the need for timing it, this is how james rickards breaks it down is the way to beat the market is either being in at the right time or having information that other people don't have. And if you get your information from the Wall Street Journal, Seeking Alpha, or, or the Motley Crew, or, or Motley Fool, or any of these people, you're late. Yeah, you like, there, there's no way around it. It's public information at that point. You're late. The average person doesn't know that. So they just go on Robin Hood or they open up a Charles Schwab account and they think you're going to be able to compete with these people who are regulating the game. Like they have the information ahead of time and they just filter it down to you. And then you want to invest on the scraps and you can't do that. So like the best way to, to either navigate this is to put only put money in it that you don't need. Don't stake your entire retirement in it like they convince the majority of Amer working Americans to do or to not play at all and to invest in things that you actually understand, like a business that you have knowledge of or invest in somebody around you that's starting a business and get equity and things like that where you actually can see a return tangibly. But you're not going to see it in the wilderness of the markets because you don't really know what's going on. Beyond that shit, like that, if you're going to invest in that way, like that shit's a full time job. Like you can't just do that shit for a couple hours on Robinhood after you get off work. Like you're not going to make no real money doing that. Like so, like you said, if, if you go play it that way, you have to invest money that, uh, you know, all right, I'm not going to miss that because you on there for a couple hours a day, like in order to make real money in the market, like you got to be on that shit, like 630, like you got to be breaking that shit down. You got to know what the fuck you do. That shit is a full-time job. Like you're not just going to play around and what a couple hours on Robin Hood and make some money in the market. That's not realistic. And it's even like that, even with that, you know, cause you have people on, on the internet or YouTube is, Oh yeah, I'm a day trader on this, <laughs> that, and the third. And it's like, they're still just speculating yeah. because Unless you know when something is going to happen, like you're just gambling, like people like Warren Buffett or some of the largest traders, like, you know, mo most profitable um, traders, they all are just operating off inside information. Yeah. Like, I know that this is going to happen now, so I'm going to move some of my assets into this security. I'm going to reap the benefit. And then once it gets to a certain point, I exit because I know the volatility is going to be, it's unpredictable what happens beyond this point and I might lose money, but I'm guaranteed to make money if I stay within these parameters. And that's how those guys have made billions of dollars. Like they're not speculating, yeah. like, yeah. but they, it's, it's marketed to the everyday citizen that you can speculate and you're going to make returns in the long run that are going to be favorable for you. And that's just not true.
Like th that's clearly a lie. It's marketing by banks and these institutions because they want to keep their um, their total number of assets under management right. at a certain threshold to put your life savings or your kids future in that like blindly. It's it's insane. Well, and Rickards even insinuates that what like essentially what you're saying, like he basically said in the 08 crash, um, Warren Buffett basically changed his position and bought a railroad, <laughs> like got basically, you know, most of the stuff out of the market and bought the, you know, the ultimate, he called it the ultimate hard asset, the railroad. And he also kind of breaks down, you know, uh, the people that were putting put options in during uh, 9-11, uh, basically explaining that. I can't remember the exact uh, position they says. Like, I think he said when when a stock opens, um, the the options is like one to one. He said that specific day because he was doing a, a specific project with the CIA. He said that specific day, it was like one to three or something like that. So they basically did research, understanding that there were certain groups, you know, whether it was like Saudi Arabia or even here in America that had the insider information to put put options against uh, Southwest Airlines. So, yeah, I mean, that, that that's really no secret that the people were like they know. How to, like they have the information to make that money in the market. And in reading all of this stuff, and I want to bring the movie in here too, um, Margin Call, the 2011 movie that takes place inside of a financial firm that realizes that they're over leveraged and they have to make the decision in the course of a, an evening to what to do in order to preserve their wealth and survive as a company and a lot of people get laid off you know some people get elevated to new positions some people make millions of dollars some people lose a lot of money and it the movie shows you this happening within a 12-hour time frame and it shows like the nuances of it that it's not just you know some evil businessman making a decision that says Fuck everybody. I'm keeping all of the wealth. And it's also not like this gross level of incompetence that got everybody to this situation because there are smart people making these decisions. They're just dealing with forces that they don't fully comprehend in some situations. I think there's like a thin line between bankers being incompetent and being malevolent. And then on the politician side of being incompetent and being treasonous. Because some of the some of the things that the politicians vote for, like some of these policies, the effect that debt has on the economy and people's quality of life, it it looks like treason to me. Like maybe that's like a strong word for it, but it's like what else would that be when it's like you're actively devaluing the currency and you're actively doing things that are against the interests of your constituents on the banker side. They have a responsibility to make money. They never said that they were here for anything else. So when they've gotten to this position where they make these messes and, you know, everyday people have to deal with the fallout, we gave them the money. We funded them. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything that you said. Um, I definitely think there's a bit of malevolence. You see it at the higher up. It's like, my man's just like, yo, sell everything. Like, we're fucked. So, like... So you see it where the people that are selling that stuff, you know, it's not really even their job to have the knowledge of the risk of what they're selling. Really, they're just sales guys. So like it's so complex, like they have to have rocket scientists in there. And you even see like the difference between the people who understand the technical jargon and the guy who's the boss who has to make that final decision. But at that level, you can tell that that guy does have that information. And the, the person that's underneath him is this guy named Sam. And he says, you obviously have a little bit more information about what's going on in regards to what's going to happen within the market. And you can kind of see it's like, yeah, he knows it. And he like, I, I think there's malevolence on that part of that CEO, because I think that he clearly has that information to know that and like like it's even insinuated like i said with his uh underboss basically saying you have more information than i do so you got to see the malevolence in that so i kind of look at it a little different where the jeremy irons character plays the head of the organization 
and he is operating from a higher level of understanding. And James Rickards breaks that down in his book when he explains how the central bank essentially loans money to the treasury mm-hmm. and how they're able to do that and where the money actually comes from and on whose balance sheet the money actually sits. And it comes down to banks. These individual bank institutions own the government and like in the form of long-term treasury bonds and these different contracts essentially that they've created saying, we'll fund government operations to a point at agreed upon interest rates. And then at a higher level, you have the, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and they make decisions that the member nations of these things called SDRs, um, which are basically... he How he explained it was the SDR was a special drawing right from the uh, International Monetary Fund, which was basically a basket of currencies um, in which you have all the major nations and, you know, it basically uh, interest rates kind of fluctuate and, you know, the currencies kind of fluctuate based upon those basket uh, currencies, so to speak. So that's, yeah. So like that's an SDR, right? So you have the, the largest countries in the world are involved in SDRs and the SDR rate is published every day by the IMF. And that changes based on exchange rates of the various currencies that are in the SDR. And those exchange rates are determined by bank activity, by computer activity, because a lot of the trading nowadays is done um, by computers with no human interaction with it. So you have these heads of these banks they have to come together and agree on the rates that they're willing to do business at with different countries and different currencies and the exchange. And then that gets put into the SDR and that has a bunch of ripple effects through the actual economy, which ultimately determines the price that you pay for shit on the shelf. Mm. So like the Jeremy Irons character in this movie, they don't go to the extent of explaining what he knows but in the real world, that's somewhat of the things that he has to deal with. He has to deal with SDR rates and all of these things that even banking institutions can't hold SDRs, only government institutions can. So it's like there's limits to access to certain, like it's all layered into who can do what with with what. So when he tells the Kevin Spacey character to just sell everything, and this is just the next cycle. Like we had one in 87, we had one in the 90s, we had one in 08. And he even says one of them, he's like, yeah, that one in 87 really fucked me up. <laughs> like, but he's like, this is all, we've just created this system so that, to me, this was the most potent line of the movie so that we don't have to kill each other for to get something to eat. And He's sitting down at the end of the day after they've done all of this and, you know, fired a bunch of people, a bunch of people lost their retirement accounts and everything. He's like, he finally sits down and has something to eat. And he's like, you know, I'm actually starting to feel good about what we did today Mm. because he knows that in the long run, you know, the, the economy is still there. People are still going to Starbucks. People are still getting on the bus. They're still getting on planes. They're still putting gas in their car. There's a lot of people that are poor today. Like, and he understands that, but he's in the position. He has to make that decision without emotion. It can't, it can't be, I don't think it's like a malevolent thing because if you start putting emotion in those type of decisions, you're going to do things that are stupid. And he can't afford to do something stupid. He'll get killed if he does something stupid. Like he's at that level, like where it's like he chokes on an egg or some shit if he starts doing stupid stuff, because (laughs) now you're affecting everybody's money. And he knows that. So it's like, like, I, I think this stuff is like way too nuanced to put a category of oh yeah like it's evil or it's good or it's that yeah it's definitely it's it's there's a lot of shit going on in there. Yeah, well, I think the best part about that movie also, it shows you, like, 
the politic uh, aspect of corporate America, because obviously the guy that they fired, I think his name is Eric something, Eric Dale or some shit like that. There was a point where like he knew too much, I believe. And I think that's where it really comes to. He probably showed the wrong person some models or some numbers and shit like that. And they said, oh, shit, like this guy's going to get me fired. I have to get rid of him. But it's like this was the shit that y'all should have been paying in, uh, paying attention to an issuance so that this shit wouldn't have happened. So like I, like that, that's the really most interesting part. And even at the end, it's like, oh, don't, don't worry about that shit. Like, like you're done. Like it doesn't look like you're concerned. But it's like this is the shit that's going to fuck the whole entire company up, and he's trying to tell you that. So, well, but I, I think it also shows, like in corporations, how in order for them to function, knowledge of different things has to be compartmentalized. Because if you're the top guy, like when he comes into when Jeremy Irons comes into the building, he's like, "Explain it to me, like I'm a five year old." Right. Like he knows what his profits look like. He knows what the total health of the business is. He doesn't really care where it's coming from. Like you pay somebody else to, um, I, I forget what what politician said it, or maybe it was in a movie. It's basically like, I pay you to bury bodies that I don't even want to know about. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to know that you buried bodies for me. And like, that's what the money's for to just keep burying the body so I can continue to do my job and your job is to get your hands dirty and my job is to keep my eyes on the entire thing. And then you get the rocket scientist kid that says, oh yeah, we can run up a bag for this amount of time (laughs) until it's too late. Like that's what he's for too, but he doesn't have to be privy of what Jeremy Irons has to deal with. Because when you like they have to kind of fire the Stanley Tucci guy because he's going to go do something based on emotion and the system can't run if the pieces are doing things based on emotion, like the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. So you kind of got to cut off the emotional arm and say, like, look, bro, like you about to go whistleblow or do some other dickhead shit and we can't we can't have that. So you got to go. Like, because we've all agreed to the rules of the game and you yeah. can't decide to change the rules of the game because you feel bad. Well, but here lies the issue of the concept of risk management and why you have that and why you need these guys, because like, sure, like, I guess you have to fire him and hold him under, like, you know, hide him somewhere. But you see what happens with that type of shit. It's like this shit is going to fuck everything up. But. You know, I I do think it all comes down to these are all individuals making decisions, whether you're at the company or you're one of the people that's funding the company, because there's this sequence in the movie where they say sell everything and they tell the employees there we you're about to go sell shit. These assets (laughs) that you're about to sell aren't worth anything and we're going to pay you million dollar bonuses to do it. And they all get on the phone. And they start selling stuff to, um, you know, their different clients or whoever they're selling it to, to unload all of these shitty assets. And then later in the day, some of the people that bought the shitty assets realize what happened to them. They realize that they were duped and they call back and they're like, you piece of shit. And (laughs) that's Kevin Spacey's argument that nobody will ever do business with us again. Yeah. And Jeremy Irons argument, which proves to be true in the long run, in the in the history of money from since it was created till now, people are addicted to the idea of money and they'll always come back, even if you fuck them over. Like, you know, we were talking about banks the other day, Steve, like how banks have been caught opening accounts in people's name, stealing their money or whatever. People still put their money in banks like myself included. It's like, and you know the risk, but you say, fuck it. Like you kind of compartmentalize the risk a little bit and you say, well, it's the, it's the least of it's what's it, the lesser of two evils or whatever. So when it comes down to this stuff, it's like, everybody's making a choice. Like Joe Schmo, who just checks the 401k box at his company and says, oh, he hears the word tax deferred and he thinks he's doing something smart. Or, you know, the guy that keeps all of his money in a shoebox 
like in the back of his closet. Like those are all choices and you just have to de- you have to understand the impact of your choices. When you talk about the concept of money and like you said, like even in antiquity, like people are addicted to it. It goes to show you that everybody is searching for power, so to speak. So and I guess you could kind of look at it where there's two ways to try to go get it. You can, as you say, go against the natural order of things with which you see with all these derivatives and all these things. It's almost like, you know, a guy that looks at another guy and says, you know, wow, he has a nice house. He has a nice wife and all those things. Like he might, uh, you know, come up to him and say, hey, man, how did you build that? As opposed to the other guy saying, you know what? Like, that's my shit. Like, I'm just going to take everything from this guy and like, fuck him. Like, I'm just so <laughs> I think like to put a button on the moral of the story is like everybody is searching for power. And there's just certain ways that people go about it. James Rickards gives his advice on how you na- how you can navigate um, the fallout of when these when different parts of these systems fail mm. and different parts of society are impacted by those failures which are inevitable because at a certain point, you know, the volatility gets to a point where it's not sustainable, which is why I find it really interesting that the movie depicts it as, you know, they had to bring in a rocket scientist to decipher some of this stuff. And James Rickards breaks down um, phase transition, which is a concept in thermodynamics and chemistry that at a certain point, like which is called the critical point, a solid turns into a liquid or vice versa. There's right. a certain point where under certain stresses, things in the natural order have to change form. And the same thing works for anything that we as human beings create. We created these markets, but they're subject to forces that we didn't create. So at a certain point, the forces that govern the markets will cause them to cease to exist or yeah. cause them to be formed in compliance with the forces that actually govern the market. And as an individual, your best course of action, in my opinion, understand those forces better. It's like, in order to get something, something has to be given. So if the government is just offering free money, you know that that's not a wise thing because if you're giving something with nothing in return, people don't appreciate it. People will, like I I did, I spend it on a TV. Yeah, it's not right. People just spend it on necessities. It doesn't yeah. grow. So it's like, you have to do things that are going to grow for you and avoid the things that people are going to tell you that, that grow, but it's just smoke and mirrors. Because a lot of it is just bullshit based on jargon that you don't understand. So if somebody starts talking to you in big words, just say, hey, all right, bro, like, I'm going to go get my dictionary and see, <laughs> and see if this shit makes any sense at all to do. It, it, it's so crazy because all of these people who are dealing with money every day are having the same issues as the common man. Like, what's the guy, the character Will, like... I think there's a part where um one of the guys underneath him said, I can't remember, it was the Peter Sullivan guy, the, the, his friend or whatever. He said, he asked him, you know, how much you made last year? He said, 2.5 million. How did you spend it all? It's like he spent two and a half million and now he's broke again. Like the guy at the end of the movie. Well, I, I actually, oh wait, hold on. Cause I love that part. I love that part of the movie. Cause it's like, I wish you could do like a split screen of that yeah. and Beanie Siegel. Cause like when Beanie Siegel got a million dollars, <laughs> he, did the whole version. <laughs> he was like, he, he was Charlie like, you, know, you get the S 50 with the cinnamon guts. And yeah. this nigga did the same thing. The he's same as that thing. guy. He's like, he's like, I, he's like, I, I spent 50,000 on clothes. He's like, I, I bought a Porsche. I bought a house. He's like, I gave my folks 150,000. You know, you got to keep them going. And Bean's like, you know, you got to hit your niggas off. Like, all your niggas got to get a double. <laughs> so, like, to me, that like that shows, again, it's like human beings are human beings. Like, the psychology yeah. of this stuff is sound. Like, that's why some of these guys get paid exorbitant fees to break down the psychology to bankers. Because mm-hmm. human beings de- behave in a certain way based on forces that are behind beyond most of our comprehension. And there's certain people that once they understand that shit, they're able to get rich and they're able to avoid the downfalls that everybody else, 
that everybody else isn't able to avoid because they don't look into that shit. And at least, like, I like how the young guy is just going around asking about, like, how much do you make? How much do you yeah. make? And how did, and what <laughs> did you do best. with it? Because, like, <laughs> listen, I'm the same way. Like, yeah. when I first started, like, being introduced to people that had made it to higher levels in corporate America and were making a lot of money or people that own businesses, I would just ask them, I'm like, yo, what do you do with your money? And that, like, some of them, you can tell, like, have a good idea of what to do with it. And some yeah. of them, they're just spending that shit. They're like, oh, yeah, I just bought a $2,000 skateboard. Because they could. Yeah. And because, like, you know, like, right now, it's good times. You know what's funny? Like, uh, when you said that, I was, I almost started laughing when you said there's human beings who uh, get paid to break down the psychology of human beings that's beyond, like, the things that they do are beyond the forces of, uh, their capabilities or some shit. I, that just reminded me of like Family Guy when they're trying to break down science. It's like, yeah, like the Adam. And then it is just like the guy's like God. Like <laughs> it's just like it's like yo, like that's good. I mean, like because th- that's what it is at the end of the day. Like th- there's certain things that people have decided that they don't want to try to understand, and they use yeah. filler words. To try to understand, like God, like God is just the explanation for how we got to be here, right? Like, <laughs> like, like you know, like because you know, like if your kid just asks too many questions, they like so, like, but why are we here? And they like because God wanted it that way, right? And it's like, but, but is there a way to understand that answer better? Like, yeah, there is. Now, is like, is that saying that you can completely understand it? Yeah. No. But there's some fundamentals at play there because like everybody like breathes and walks and has blood in their veins. So there has to be some fundamentals. So it's like, let's understand those. Like we might not understand the force that created the fundamentals, but we can understand the fundamentals. Right. They're there because it does get to a point where science can only explain up to a point. And then now we're like, oh, shit, we got to do some more research now. (laughs) Yeah. and, And it's like. I, I think that's what human beings are structured for. Because yeah. you think about it, it's like it all comes back down to psychology. Like all of these things are perception in your mind. Like right. one day you wake up, Wall Street's doing real good because a lot of people have the same perception. Then the next day, people get scared and a lot of people, and then it goes down. It's like, oh shit, this politician I don't like got elected. Good yeah. day on Wall, bad day on Wall Street. Oh, somebody crashed a plane into a building. Bad day on Wall Street. But it also depends on what side of the trade you're on. Because there's some people that made millions of dollars after 9-11 because they knew what side of the trade to be on. Because, again, they understand the fundamentals in in a way that emotional people don't. Because, like, there are people that, you know, when the economy's about to crash, like, when there's a huge transfer of wealth, you always have to understand there's somebody on the other side of that trade. The mm-hmm. wealth doesn't just disappear. Like that that's the first law of thermodynamics. Like energy cannot be created or destroyed. It just goes from one form to another. Same things with money. Like money like these people didn't invent money. <laughs> like they've invented these concepts that people think is money, but the concept of exchange of goods for services, that's fundamental. Like you, you're not going to be able to escape that. Well, these people really didn't even invent credit because there were times where, and Jim Rickers talk about that. He's like, yeah, I don't know if there's ever just been a straight up uh, exchange for services. Like there's always been a point to whereas if I give you something, like you give this back in return at a certain date. So like the 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 concept of credit is not a new uh, concept either. No, like none of this shit is new. <laughs> like, like there's nothing new that like, people just the languages change over time. The the major actors change. You know, people the the complexion of the of the population changes, but everything else stays the same. That, that's the thing, because this shit never fucking works. They do it all the time. Like Charlemagne was coin clipping in the Holy Roman Empire and all that type of shit. It's like we never fucking learn. It's like. Like, it's another thousand years, there'll be some other nigga like, all right, derivatives, and I'm about to hit this lick right quick. And yeah, like, Ponzi they'll skating. be studying, yeah, like, they'll be studying our shit, like, yeah. you know, human beings still exist 2,000 years from now, human like, they'll be exist. studying America, yeah. and they'll be like, yo, these assholes have some shit called dollars, and they had credit cards, and, like, they really thought they was doing something. Yeah. 
The fuck do you think it's gonna be a bunch of robot niggas running around and shit? Human beings will be around. I I think human beings would more likely like destroy themselves in the form of like famine no. and like dumb shit like that before before anything else. Like the planet will definitely still be here, but human beings might not. Like you think about it, like we can't even figure out how to get clean water from one side of the country to the other. And, and then we want to make collateralized debt obligations. <laughs> oh, the, the Bible already—the Bible already told you, God's not going to uh, destroy this shit all over again. It's just—it's going to be one nigga that survived. He's going to have his three sons and shit. They go and hop in the boat. <laughs> like he already told you, he's like, yo, I'm, I'm not going to do that shit to y'all again. I'll, I'll keep one nigga and his family and shit, and they'll repopulate the earth and shit. <laughs> But it's like, like I'm gonna keep giving y'all chances so y'all get it right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I'll keep that one nigga, him and his people, like they the only niggas that's gonna survive and shit. One of his sons gonna be suspect and do some weirdo shit, and his people gonna be fucked up. But <laughs> is, is that is that the dragonfly Jones translation <laughs> of, of the scripture? <laughs> it's like it's like, yeah, like this is how it worked, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know. This old nigga had built this boat and shit, like, cause like these was wild and shit. Like in them days, like niggas ain't know what the fuck they was doing. So like his people and like his, he had like three sons or something. And you know, like the one boy, like he out of control. He had did some shit while he was drunk and sleep and shit. But the other two sons, they was chilling. So <laughs> you know, and at a certain point, I feel like they need to just start telling that story and don't use names. Right. Because if you told the story and you didn't use names, people wouldn't get as like upset about shit. Because yeah. I'm like, it's the same story, but you're like, no, like my guy's not in that one, so exactly, that one's yeah. not true, but this one's true. Yeah, it's like, like, no, it's the same story, bro. They just changed the format. Yeah. So like, I, I broke that shit down for y'all. Like, that's all the Bible's about. Scripture one on one. Yeah. Oh, your Easter so, Sunday. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. So, um, how many how many boxes are you giving margin call on the box line? Actually, I was uh very entertained. Um, I I feel like I learned something, and like I said, I really enjoyed the aspect of them adding like the corporate uh, uh thing and like giving you insight on like corporate culture and shit like that. So I'm gonna get us a four. Yeah, I'm I'm there for um, you know, it's. It's like a little bit short of like being great. I feel like it just needs like a, I don't know something else to be great. Yeah. Like maybe a little bit more humor. May like maybe maybe like one more like good scene or something. But I think to when it comes to like what was the objective of the movie uh, to mm. like explain like complex financial behavior through the actions of human beings. Like I thought, right. I thought like that's what the movie set out to do, and it did a good job at that. And, and it's like you know, it's still a movie; it's got to be entertaining, and it found a way to entertain it because it's like financial yeah. jargon can get it can get very boring real quick if you don't throw some sauce in there. And they kept that shit tight; like it's only an hour and forty seven minutes, so like they pretty much knew it was like, yo, we gonna get in and out, we gonna get y'all niggas the message, and like you know, we gonna make it entertaining and shit. So uh, yeah, it's, it's like fuck movie. the director's cut. Like right, the director. Like, because like sometimes you gotta take the movie away from the director. Like, yeah. like that's why we have Michael here to keep us alive. Because at a certain point, he's gonna be like, "All right, y'all niggas need to wrap that shit up." <laughs> like, so yeah. like, like I, I, I always like a director that keeps it short, keeps it brief. That's why they give comics to like because niggas will be up there for three hours talking about their dick. <laughs> so, um, James Rickards, you know, I, I didn't read Death of Money. I only read Aftermath, but um. I would give this book uh, a four because, you know, there's always going to be somebody's bias in it and it can only be like the scope of what he's talking about is so large. You're not going to be able to fit it in a book of this size or any book for that. Yeah. Matter. But I think he does a really good job. If you have if you don't have any financial background, you know, picking up one of his books might be a good way, like a good entry point for that. If you think about his bias behind gold, like there's a lot of logic behind it and there's no perfect system. But, you know, him breaking down like the logic behind having a hardback system of gold and what happens when you get beyond that 
Like it, it makes sense, and I respect his biases on it. But like I said, yeah, I mean, same here. I'm uh, four out of five in regards to the book. I really learned a lot. Like I, I took a lot of uh, classes in college, and I didn't even understand like how they measure GDP and different things like that. So you know, there was a lot of like. I think if you're going to try to start to get to understanding the money system, like these books are really good because they give you concepts where you can really grow your knowledge base if you're into that. Like even like a lot of the information that you put in the previous books are starting to come to fruition right now. So I think that's what makes those books so compelling and so interesting. Yeah. And, you know, like the last thing I'll say on it is just like self-education is the best form of education. Because when I went to school for finance, like I had an obligation to learn this stuff because I wanted to get the degree because I wanted to get a job and the rat race and all that shit. But I wasn't really interested. And it's like now that I'm actually interested, like I go way deeper on these subjects and I, I have a better understanding of them than even when I was actively studying them in school. So, you know, like if you're into something like this or, or just whatever, I, I think like self-education is, is the better way to go about it, especially when you read some of the thing, some of the statistics about the um, for-profit education system. It's like, you're a little better off educating yourself first and then deciding <laughs> you know, what you want to get a specialized degree or something like that in, because yeah. like books like this can really give you um, one thing that he said over and over again was like, you know, that sober, clear eyed perspective on things. So you can make decisions that aren't as emotional. And it's like, you know, if you start off just educating yourself on your interests, then you can find a way to actually monetize those interests. But, you wow. know, I, I think we're just in this position now where education has just been wrapped up in, you know, job creation rather than productivity creation. And <clears throat> like that, that's, that, that's what I would say would probably be the biggest takeaway from this book. It's like, you know, you can cultivate creative uh, productivity in your life through your interests, but you're not going to be able to do that if you're just playing the game that other people set up for you. Even beyond that, like if you just go to a job with the idea of I want to learn the job, you can learn so much about business because a lot of these supervisors are arrogant as shit. You'll sit down and you can talk to your supervisor and learn so much about like his job. And then you can kind of decide like if I want to take it further or if I want to kind of get, you know, like, oh, OK, this guy's in the operations. That's really interesting. Let me go to school about operations. So, like, you know. Small to business, small to mid-sized companies to me are the best companies to work for if you really want to learn business because you could sit with every single department and just ask them, "Hey, man, what what exactly is that you do?" And then, like you said, take that self-education from there and build upon that. So you know, self-education and just getting out and working, getting some experience. I always say that if you're young, just go get some experience and then go to school. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So. Yeah. um you know, on, on that note, we're gonna wrap the podcast up. We'll be back next week. I think next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about greed a little bit. We're gonna get into some greed and see why um see why DMX was so upset by y'all niggas being greedy. <laughs> but we'll be back next week for an all new episode. This has been the Last Men Pod, and thanks for listening.